This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast, where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. Uh, And this is the week of July 18th through 22nd. Uh, But before we get into the episodes, how are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing fine. Don't really have much to report. Just kind of doing the summer thing and enjoying it while it lasts. Uh, Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. We're we're hanging in there. Uh, COVID is a jerk. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so I, I was supposed to briefly have a healthy house, house guest and instead presently there is somebody isolating <laughs> in my guest room. Um, Fun. yeah. So, and, and like, <laughs> we're not getting to hang out, but I, but I do get to, um, run meals up and dishes down and, uh, it's it's not it's not the it's not the visit that I was uh, looking forward to having right. with this person, but um, you know, hoping that they feel better soon. Yeah, yeah, and uh, looking forward to some some travel that's coming up as well. We've got like another month of school break, a month and a bit here. Um, I know you're heading back sooner than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My first day back is August second. Yeah. We go back on September 5th. Well, students start for me August 9th, but still, yeah. that still feels yeah. very early mm-hmm. in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think our teachers go back on like August 30th or 31st, maybe. So yeah, we've got, we've got a little, a little summer left, a little travel still to go, but Hey, uh, let's talk about Jeopardy. Ken Jennings is hosting again. Uh, nice to see him back. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, and Mayim is doing an excellent job. Um, and I think uh, Andy at the Jeopardy fan has been raising what he sees as a um, kind of an asymmetric response. <laughs> that is an extremely diplomatic Mayim. way to put that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you may be surprised to hear that sometimes uh, there, there are double standards around gender and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I think it, Andy, I, I think I'm, I'm with Andy that people are being exacting with Mayim in a way that is not necessarily how they're reacting to Ken or how, or how people thought about Alex's hosting also. Right. Yeah. Anyway, but nice to see Ken back. I, I, I like his style. Um, and on Monday we have the contestants, Erica Wiener Amachi, a thir- fourth grade teacher from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. William Chow, a research fellow from Austin, Texas, and Emily Fiasco, a middle school band director from St. Louis, Missouri, whose three-day cash winnings total $87,201. And we have the Jeopardy round categories giving you the boot, good history, acting up on TV, the woke mob, that's W-O-U-K, like Herman Woke. Okay, Jeopardy. Yeah, like, wow. Uh, they... <laughs> I think somebody came up with the pun and then was like, yeah, I guess we'll make this a category. Yeah. Color me bad. And the end, each correct response will end with the letters T-H-E. Nobody knew um, 
I mean, really, pretty much anything about Herman Woke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pretty much anything. Uh, shout out to my college roommate, Liz, whose favorite novel was Marjorie Morningstar. And I finally got around to reading it last year or the year before. I don't know. I liked it. It was pretty good. Okay. I definitely have never read anything by Herman Woke. These were all very new to me. Yeah. The Kane Mutiny... I think probably most of us have heard of, heard of, right? And I vaguely knew the title, The Winds of War, but didn't attach it to a particular city. They, uh, they were looking for Berlin. Is it set in Berlin? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But just a rough category for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, We get our first Daily Double in the Good History category at the $600 level. Pick number eight, and Erica finds it. She's at $1,200, Emily's at $600, William is at zero, and she wagers the value of the clue, $600. Erica, bet everything. Uh, Gets the clue, at first the church didn't oppose this Polish man's ideas. The center of the universe was filthy, so better not to be there. And she got it correct with who is Copernicus. If a Polish astronomer, I mean, also not yeah. Earth-centric. The, yeah, the center of the universe was filthy? Like, what's that about? I don't know. I, I, I wonder. Know. I wonder what that, what that thought is. I, I know that the, like, like, I guess the attitude that if you, if the center, if Earth was the center and the center of the Earth was, like, below you, the mm. like the it, it's it was associated throughout history with the underworld maybe i don't know it, huh, it's a very I interesting i don't know it's yeah. curious at the end of the jeopardy round emily is at 2600 william is at 400 Eric is at 3200 and we have the double jeopardy categories giving you the boot 10 11 and 12 letter words trophy husbands americana active bible verses and feeling independent Active Bible verses just seems to be Bible verses that have a verb in them. I I mean, yeah. Like, I sort of expected it to be, you know, things about jumping and dancing and running and, you know, in Exodus, at, at the $800 level, in Exodus, behold, this burned with fire and it was not consumed. That's the burning bush, right? Like, mm-hmm. Why is it active? Because it was actively burning. I guess. I don't know. Was not consumed is passive voice also. True. Although burned with fire is active voice. But. It was a bit of a stretch with the category title. It was really just Bible verses. and Yeah, it was just Bible whatever. verses. Which is fine. Like, that's a fine thing to have a category about. But I'm not really sure what what the word active is doing in the in the category title yeah and the two thousand dollar we got a good clue from from ken uh since no one had done this for 40 years god told joshua to get a knife and do it all to all the male israelites william wasn't able to get there uh, but erica got what is circumcised and uh he said a painful 2000 for you which got a got a nice chuckle and then i don't know i thought i saw something that was kind of like clickbaity about ken making a joke that people didn't like i don't know if anybody didn't like it probably old people were like you can't talk about penises on tv 
Yeah, sometimes people get like a little persnickety about like you know talking about like sexuality or LGBTQ stuff, or, like whatever, like in in church, like oh that's not proper. Like, it's like, like have you read the, the Bible? Like, I, I I tremble to tell you like how much of the Bible t- is like discussions of circumcision. Old right. Testament and New Testament, yeah. right? Like both. <laughs> yeah. Like way more than I want to read, I'll tell you that. More than I want to concern myself with. The number of times I have had in a sermon to be like, circumcision here is shorthand for this like debate that was happening in the community about like whether Christianity should be open to non-Jews or did you have to convert first? Like that's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. So like the idea that we're only supposed to talk about proper like ethereal intellectual esoteric cerebral things in church none of this you know none of this stuff I'm like i'm sorry like this, this is, uh, i've got to work with what i've got here <laughs> so also if like ultimately the goal is to speak to the human condition and like right. our place in the world to ignore that mm-hmm. to ignore all of that aspect of the human condition is like well i'm not you know you're not really doing it justice yeah absolutely agreed that is yeah I think that's that's the more salient point. But but also, I mean, also just the pure hypocrisy of like, oh, we can't talk about that. It's like it's literally right here. It's all it's, it's just like, all over look, the place. Like try it. to avoid it. Yeah. I, th- I feel like the uh, the two thousand dollar clue of the t- 10, 11 and twelve dollar twelve letter words. Uh, this term for a tightrope walker comes from the Latin for rope and walk. And I feel like Latin is lying here. The correct response is, what's a funambulist? That has never seemed fun for me. That is, like, maybe the most stressful yeah. kind of ambulation. Right. There are a yeah. number of types of ambulation. But that one uh-huh. seems to me the one I would least want to do. Yeah. I don't um, know. Doesn't seem fun. Latin. Can you believe it? Although I know it has to do with rope, like a funicular is, you know, has a rope that pulls you. But... Yeah. But I still um, want to make my joke. I, I could not remember the word funambulist. If you ever want to watch a stressful but fascinating documentary, Don't. Man on Wire. Don't. I mean, also, like, uh, unrelated stressful but fascinating documentary, Free Solo. Uh, Man on Wire is about uh, the tightrope walker, Philippe Petit, uh, doing his, like, illegal walk between the twin towers of the world trade center in 1974 and it was really interesting i i'm i'm sure it was i cannot i absolutely (laughs) cannot you're already on record as not wanting to watch stressful television so fair enough i mean like and i mean i you know i can it's not like i i'm in suspense of like oh what happened does he make it like obviously you know we know the result but even so yeah yeah, I get, you know, I get butterflies and kind of like a little bit lightheaded when I see people in, you know, up high, even if I'm not the one up high. Yeah. That would that would not do it for me. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Daily Double number two is in Americana at the $1,200 level, and Emily finds it at the eighth pick. She has 3400 at this point to William's 800 and Erica, Erica's 6400 She wagers 2000 and gets the clue belonging to a cousin the historic home seen here in salem massachusetts inspired nathaniel hawthorne to write this novel um they have a picture with a of a house with 
some gables. Um, and she guesses what is the house of, I think she said seven gables, but mm-hmm. is it the seven gables? Anyway, it was accepted. Yeah, I'm not sure that she included that that the in the middle, which I think you're, I seem to remember that you were supposed to have yeah, to. I don't know. I mean, they accepted but, it and didn't reverse yeah. it, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there is if there was ever any variation in how the title was printed, yeah, um, I guess which there could there could be could be. And daily double number three is in giving you the boot at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Pick number eighteen. William finds it. He's at fifty six hundred. Emily's at seven thousand, and Erica is eight, at eight thousand. William has had a really good turnaround. I mean, he he was you know he was in the red. And ben, he was only at 400 at the start of the Double Jeopardy round, but he has a chance to uh, do something big here. He wagers 2400 Gets a clue. This Bolshevik got exiled to Siberia twice, expelled from the Politburo in 1926, and the Soviet Union itself three years later. And he gets correct with who is Trotsky. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Erica's in the lead with 11600 William's at 8800 Emily has 7800 And we have the final Jeopardy category, Art and Theater. And the clue asked to design a new set for a restaging of this 1952 play. Alberto Giacometti came up with one scraggly plaster tree. They all got it correct here. Uh, Emily has what is waiting for Godot. That is the correct answer. She's wagered 7,800. Everything she has, bringing her up to 15,600. William also has what is waiting for Godot. He's wagered... 6801 mm-hmm. um bringing him up to 15601 and then Erica has waiting for Godot and Erica wagered 4001 did she did she I have to think she did she make like, a math error. Yeah, like she she took the wrong number into her head when she did her math. Because that puts yeah. her at 15601, which is a tie with William. And there is absolutely no reason that she should be in a tie when she had a right. very clear lead going into vinyl. Mm-hmm. Like, she got a dollar above Emily's double up, but she should have done an extra thousand... Two, two thousand two thousand two thousand whatever it is. yeah she needed yeah, to get above. william was a thousand ahead of emily so she yeah. wants she wants two thousand more on there yeah um Oof. yeah um i mean or or else or else she was trying to do like a second order but still i would think you would want to go to for like you know if, if you think that william's gonna cover emily's all in maybe you want to land like a i, I don't know it, uh, i yeah uh, it i feel like it's got to be an error yeah I, unfortunately I, yeah so that takes us to a tiebreaker. William and Erica have the category biographies and the clue, the passage of power covers 1958 to 1964 in Robert Caro's fourth volume on the life of this American. And William rings in, he gets it correct. Lyndon Johnson is the correct response. And so William comes from second place to, uh, win the tiebreaker and the game. Yep. How are there four volumes on the life of Lyndon Johnson? <sighs> uh, which means 
Going into Tuesday, we have the contestants Catherine Belling, a medical humanities professor from Chicago, Illinois, Matt Mirswa, an attorney from River Edge, New Jersey, and William Chow, a researcher from Austin, Texas, whose one-day cash winnings total 15601 We have the Jeopardy round categories San Diego News Clues, uh, which I will just say spoilers did not include Ron Burgundy, cartoon theme song lyrics, 20th Century America, Hybrid Animal Parents, Locke, in quotation marks, and Key. Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele both come up this week, but separately? They did. Yeah. They much did. Um, Keegan-Michael Key, they're in the Key category, which makes sense at the $600 level. In this TV series, Keegan-Michael Key stumbles upon a magical town in which everyone acts like they're in a musical that's Schmigadoon, which I still need to watch. Mm -hmm. Looked good. I hadn't even heard of it. Hmm. I only watch serious, stressful television. And I only (laughs) watch not serious. I actually would 100% watch that, and I should. Yeah, I I bet it looks really good. I I also like Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. Like yeah, I am. I am planning to go see a stressful movie uh, when I can. When I can get away from the whole situation around here. Mm. Nope. Uh, yes. It does look yeah. good, but also I'm like, man, I don't want to have nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> every, every Jordan Peele movie like just so like good. ruins my sleep for the week. <laughs> Was it also twice this week that we got uh, lyrics categories for Ken to read off? Yeah, I think so. This one I like. Pretty different from each other, though. V- very different, but I still enjoyed them. I enjoyed them both. Yeah. Uh, Matt did very well. He actually, well, he did, he got most of them. William got, ah, William got a couple. Uh, however, Matt did start out the round running the 20th Century America category. So he jumped out to a good lead. Yeah. Daily Double number one is just a third pick of the round we get it super early in that 20th century america category uh matt finds it he's at 600 uh william and Catherine are both still at zero he wagers a thousand and gets the clue it's 1980 eruption was the first by a volcano in the continental u.s outside alaska since 1917 and he gets it correct with what is mount saint helens so at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, William is at 4,200. Matt's at 9,400. Catherine is in the red with negative 400. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, international, national parks, the movie's director, let's build a house, possessive lit, under quarantine, and word origins. And the movie's director is where Jordan Peele comes up at the $400 level, the 2019 horror thriller Us. And Matt gets that one. And uh, at the $2,000 level, we have 1960s La Dolce Vita. That was in the quiz I wrote a couple weeks ago. That's Fellini. Yes, I remembered that. The International National Parks at the $2,000 level. This country's parks include Bontabac, a reserve for the rare Bontabac antelope, as well as Kruger and Agulas. Matt got in and got that correct. That's South Africa. But um, Catherine talked about how she grew up in south africa during her interview so Mm -hmm. i you know you could see her ringing in but i could also feel the this is supposed to be mine this was mine that was my Uh clue yeah felt for her on that one yeah 
have we talked about this on the podcast? At the $100 level of word origins, this formal jacket is named for a New York country club where it was popularized in the 1880s. Uh, that's Tuxedo. I don't. I live not too far from Tuxedo Park mm. and was shocked uh, some time ago to learn that tuxedos were named after Tuxedo Park and not, not the other the way around. around. Yeah, yeah I, I, I learned that of... I don't remember when I learned that, but it was later on. I think I was an adult and I was like, oh, how about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in the possessive lit category at the $2,000 level. It's the fourth pick, and uh, Matt finds it. He's in a pretty good lead at $11,800. William's at $4,200. Catherine's at $800. Any wagers, $3,200. Uh, it gets the clue. This Robert Penn Warren novel chronicles the rags-to-riches story of politician Willie Stark. And he doesn't know. He guesses what is the candidate. Um, but that is all the king's men. Which I have not read, mm-hmm. but this uh, this also starts uh, kind of a an unfortunate trend for Matt of missing daily doubles. Yeah, <laughs> he got a, he got a, um, he missed a number of daily doubles, but yeah, um, I am incapable of remembering which which thing is all the king's men and which thing is all the president's men. Yes, uh, all the president's men being a 1976 film about the Watergate scandal. Also a book. Oh, is it a book also? Yeah. Uh, By Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yep, you're right. Oh, yes. It is the Woodward and Bernstein book. Yep. 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 Is there a film of all the King's Men also to make it even more confusing? There there probably is a film of all the King's Men, yeah. I mean, the titles play off. Yeah. So. Yeah, the the same nursery rhyme. Humpty Dumpty. Yes. Took me a minute. I like had to had to like rewind the record in my brain. What did that, you're right. Uh, there, there was some, I don't remember which uh, comedian it was, but the comedian talked about that. It's like, all right, you know, I wonder how the people felt when it was like, you know, they're trying to put Humpty Dumpty and like all the King's Men are there and then the horses show up mm. and they're like, well, now we've got it. Yeah. <laughs> Then Matt finds Daily Double number three as well. It's the 14th pick, and it's at the $1,600 level of word origins. He has 11800 at this point to William 7000 Catherine is in the red once again at negative $400. Um, he wagers 1200 this time, a little bit smaller than last time, and gets the clue, this dog breed gets its name from the German for nose or muzzle. He tries what is dachshund, but it is schnauzer. Like a schnoz. Which, I don't know, even if it crossed his mind, if he was like, is that really what that is? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that where that comes from? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, rub, rub, he found all three daily doubles and, like, on balance, it would have been better if he hadn't. Right. Uh, so, that that's Overall, always rough. Yeah. So, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Matt has still maintained his lead is at 16,600, but William has had a good, good, uh, a good second round he's up to 14,600 and Catherine is on the board at 400 they get the category opera and the clue an aria from this opera says put on your costume and apply makeup to your face the people pay and they want to laugh Uh, Catherine got it correct with what is Pagliacci the sad clown Mm -hmm. Uh, and she wagered everything so she goes up to 800 William put what is Rigoletto if you're not, you know, an, an opera f- like fan necessarily, you'll know that Rigoletto is 
an opera, and Rigoletto is a jester. He's a court jester, so maybe maybe a little bit of knowledge leads you there. Um, mm-hmm. It really should point you to the clown. Uh, and he wagered everything, which means he drops to zero, which means he ends up in third place behind Catherine's eight hundred dollars. I don't know. He could have made an extra thousand by betting a little less. Matt got it right with what is Pagliacci and wagered twelve thousand six hundred one, a cover bet, and so he wins with twenty nine thousand two hundred one. Mm-hmm. That brings us to Wednesday, where we have the contestants Allison Tremblay a nurse practitioner from Amelia Island, Florida, Alfred Guy, an assistant dean from Babylon, New York, and Matt Mirzwa, an attorney from River Edge, New Jersey, whose one-day cash winnings total $29,201. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. Please rise for our national double talk, word ca- world capital attractions, quiz bowl, it's a bug, and not a feature. <laughs> <laughs> um playing of course off of the the idiom saying it's a feature not a bug right about weird things that seem wrong yeah allison did quite well in that uh world capitals category uh she got the she got the thousand dollar clue which i thought was pretty tough emancipation park and Trenchtown culture yard uh, that's kingston jamaica mm-hmm Although no one no one guessed Moscow for the Musée Kino and the Laika monument. Uh, Laika is a should be a Pavlov <laughs> um, mm-hmm. for for like Russian space program. Yeah, in the double talk category at the thousand dollar level, uh, the clue was something fancy and frilly, or the name of a character in the Aristocats. <laughs> Leaving aside my, uh, I always have to check and see whether they really said the Aristocats or the Aristocrats. Uh, which no one talks about the, the film The Aristocrats anymore, and like, that's okay, I guess. But anyway, a- Alfred knew it was The Aristocats, but uh, he rang in and immediately saw that his the answer he had in mind didn't fit the category, but he didn't have a better one, and so he went ahead and said it. He said, what is Marie? Uh, Allison got the rec- the rebound and, and uh, correctly responded, frou-frou. Um, and then Ken complimented Alfred on his knowledge of the Aristocats. Marie is the like little kitten with the pink collar or whatever. Uh, the bow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not bad having like the names of the, uh, the Aristocats characters right there at your fingertips. That, yeah, that's a bit specialized. So. Mm-hmm. Daily Devil number one is in the Please Rise category. At the $1,000 level, it's only pick number four. Um, that's where they nearly started. Uh, Matt finds this one as well. He's at 800 Alfred's at 600 Allison's at 200 uh, And he wagers 1000 Gets a clue uh, for our national march. This eternal Sousa piece got the gig in 1987. And he guesses what is hail to the chief. Uh, but that is the stars and stripes forever. Mm-hmm. The most classic of Susan Marches. Yep. I mean, I guess arguably Liberty Bell and Washington Post are both very, very common. Um, if you asked me to name one Susan March, I could name one, and it would be the Stars and Stripes Forever. Sure. Yeah. You would probably recognize the Washington Post, though. Oh, I bet I, I bet I would. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matt 
is at 6,000. Alfred is at negative 200, and Allison is at 6,200. So Matt is uh, not in the lead. Allison's in the lead by 200. Mm-hmm. We have the Double Jeopardy categories Famous Americans, uh, Eating and Drinking Places, History, The Title That Completes the Rhyme, Essays, and Hey Nice Abs with A-B in quotation marks. And again, we have Ken reading lyrics. Yep. Yeah, this was the one that was really, really fun. Yeah. And Matt doing his, like, in sync dance. Yes, on Bye Bye Bye. That was nice. Cesar Chavez came up, which I always take note of because that was one of my correct responses on my one Jeopardy Mm. game. I don't actually know, a whole, like, I don't feel like I ha- I know, like, the like his narrative, like, I don't narrative well, like, I don't have, like, a comprehensive sense. I just know enough, like, Pavlov's and associations, mm. you know? Yeah. I kind of, yeah, I get the same thing. Like, I don't know his life. Like, I, I know what he was known for. Yeah. Yeah. California, farm worker, labor organizing, mm-hmm. it's going to be... It's going to be Cesar, Cesar Chavez. Chavez. Yeah. <laughs> I know that the ghost of Cesar Chavez visits Homer Simpson in one episode, <laughs> but he looks like Cesar Romero because Homer <laughs> doesn't know what Cesar Chavez looks like. <laughs> That's funny. That was my first introduction to Cesar Chavez. Mm-hmm. Let me just say about, about the essays category at the $1,200 level, higher laws in the ponded winter are two of the 18 essays in this collection by Thoreau. Uh, Alfred got it. It's Walden. And my my perspective on Walden shifted a little bit when I found out that uh, Thoreau's mom came and would like get Take- his laundry yeah. and like bring him like prepared food and stuff mm-hmm. so that he could like live deliberately and so on without, you know, the burden of like seeing to his own bottling right which is just like come on it's really easy to be transcendental when your mommy's doing all your domestic labor for you right yep anyway dilly double number two is in eating and drinking places at the twelve hundred dollar level and matt finds it it's the eighth pick he has 11,600 to Allison 6,200. Alfred is at negative 200 at this point. He wagers 2,400 and gets the clue. Military types can have food and fun at one of these. Also a term for something carried to drink water. And hey, he breaks his streak of, neg- of uh, incorrect daily doubles and gets it correct with what is a canteen. Yeah. Yay. Nice. Good job, Matt. Yay. Yeah. And uh, daily double number three is in the essays category. It's pick number 26. Alfred finds it. Uh, he's had, a, I think, a hard time getting in on the buzzer. Uh, he's at 2,200. Matt is at 23,200. And Allison is at 11,400. Uh, and he wagers 2,100. Probably concerned that he won't get in again and wants to make sure he has money on the board for final. Uh, and he gets a clue. This 1929 essay says a woman must have a dedicated personal space in order to become a fiction writer. Uh, and he he clearly knows it as soon as it comes up. That's a room of one's own. So 
at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Matt has a lock game with 25,600. Allison's in second place with 12,200. Alfred has 5,500. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Historic American Roads. And the clue, originally a Native American trail, the Dutch made it a main road. And today it runs 33 miles from State Street to Sleepy Hollow. Alfred has what question mark? And then what? Uh, the old English, oh, the Anglo-Saxon, like old English, mm-hmm. um, spelling, like, like, it's like the, the first word in Beowulf, uh, what is Broadway. That is correct. I mean, I don't know about the, the Anglo-Saxon here, um, mm-hmm. but you know, okay. And, uh, he's wagered 5,499 all but a dollar, bringing him up to 10,999 Allison tried what is the Tappan Zee Road, which is a great guess, um, but incorrect. She's wagered 1,000, which puts her at 11,200. And Matt got it correct with what is Broadway. And a $1,044 wager, which takes him to 26,644. So yeah, Broadway runs all the way from Lower Manhattan up to Sleepy Hollow, which is a little north of me. when when we have to stop recording and uh, wait while like a truck goes by or whatever outside my window, that is a truck on the Broadway this question is about. It is like literally to my left and I can see it right now. On Broadway. Yep. 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 I know. That Broadway. It's that Broadway. The bright shining lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So on Thursday... We have the contestants Stan Scoggins, a senior vice president of marketing assets from Los Angeles, California, Emmy Trammell, an operations specialist from Jacksonville, Florida, and Matt Mirswa, an attorney from River Edge, New Jersey, whose two-day cash winnings total $55,845. We have the Jeopardy round categories, the Met, colon, averse, sports venues, odd numbers, build-a-bear workshop, the Old West and what's your angle with angle in quotation marks? That's a that's a big set of letters there to show up in every correct response. Every time I encounter any mention of Deadwood, I relive again the mortifying moment when I was like I think I was sitting like in an airport, like waiting to board and saying to my I think he was my fiance at that point that like oh Netflix has just sent me Torchwood (laughs) and then I started describing the premise of Deadwood and the person across from me was like clearly furious (laughs) and like was like having like an internal like should I tell her conundrum (laughs) (laughs) because Uh, that's so funny Um, yeah yep (laughs) yeah (laughs) i have watched one of those shows i bet you've watched torchwood i have watched torchwood yeah i've watched a couple episodes of deadwood i I sent the i sent the netflix disc back it was a long time ago but this is a mortification that comes back regularly for me to to review (laughs) (laughs) right it's like let's just roll tape on that one Uh, let's watch that one again (laughs) that's that's very funny (laughs) (laughs) they're not quite the same shows yeah no (laughs) 
if they were, then they would be Firefly. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, kind of, kind of, yeah. Um, Daily Double number one is in the sports venues category at the $800 level, and Matt finds it at the 22nd pick. He has 7,800 to Emmy's 2,800 and stands 1,400. He wagers 2,200. That's an impressive lead for yeah. this point in the game. Um, he gets the clue. In 1879, the first of several NYC venues to bear this name featured birds, flowers, and fountains. So the name made more sense. He tried what are the botanical gardens, which, you know, I guess that makes sense. Um, Madison Square Garden is what they were looking for here. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matt's at 7,800. Emmy's at 3,000, stands at 1,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Asian Geography, Compound Words, Bottoms Up, Name That Hitmaker, Health and Medicine, and Closing Statements. Uh, the clue will be the last line of the book, and the contestants are supposed to name the book. I see the style, but the $400 clue, I feel like there's... This is a this is like pretty significant neg bait for a four hundred dollar clue. I think of Dean Moriarty. I even think of old Dean Moriarty, the father we never found. I think of Dean Moriarty, and like Moriarty for me, like my brain goes straight to Sherlock Holmes, right? True. And I I completely forgot about On the Road. It was a triple stumper. Everybody kind of got stuck. I wonder if they I wonder if they got stuck in the same way that I did. It's possible. Or they perhaps knew, I mean, in, in Sherlock Holmes, it's James Moriarty. Yeah. Uh, is the Moriarty there. Um, yeah. I did so. I did not remember Moriarty's first name in Sherlock Holmes. But yeah. when you see Moriarty, usually you do think of that. But maybe they were like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense for Sherlock. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like Sherlock Holmes. And like, it's like, 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 which specific, like, like knowing like which specific sherlock holmes like work like which novel or volume of short stories like that's mm -hmm. that seems that is like like that's too specific for this level of clue so like and the style isn't right you know like i, I just went on a whole, whole journey with this mm -hmm. while while it turned into a triple stumper yeah meanwhile at the two thousand dollar level right, like we've got this like moriarty like you know, triple sure. stumper at four hundred, and then at the two thousand dollar level, so we beat on boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. Which, like, is like, if anyone has taken ninth grade English, let's have a buzzer speed contest. Right? You know? Yeah, <laughs> like it's the Great Gatsby. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I I think that those two should have been switched. I think. Perhaps. Yeah, I would imagine more of us have read the Great Gatsby than. On the road. Although I did read On the Road in high school, too. Daily Double number two is in the closing statements category at the $800 level. Uh, Stan found it. He's at $1,400. Matt is up at $13,800. And Emmy's at $8,600. He bets 1000 He's pretty far behind. I still would have bet it all, but, you know, whatever. Gets the clue. The creatures outside looked from pig to man and man to pig. But already it was impossible to say which was which. And I feel like this was on Jeopardy recently. Like, I feel like this question has been said, or this quote has been has been made. Maybe it was somewhere else. Might have been on a different show. But uh, that's Animal Farm, and Stan got it correct. Mm-hmm. 
Daily Double number three is in the Asian geography category at the $2,000 level. And uh, Matt finds this one at the 23rd pick. He has 17,000 to Emmy's 11,800 and stands 3,600. He wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. The Lacadive Sea separates the Maldives and this other island country from the Asian mainland. And he gets it correct with Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Matt is at 23,400. Emmy is at 15,800. And Stan is at 5,600. Pretty good good scores. Mm-hmm. We have the final Jeopardy category, Constellations. Uh, and Emmy did talk in her interview about how she loved astronomy. Uh, we get the clue. The brightest star of this constellation is Deneb Algedi, or Kid's Tail. Uh, Stan wrote, what is the Little Dipper? Uh, that is incorrect, and he had wagered everything, so he drops to zero. Emmy wrote, what is Capricorn, which is correct, Capricorn being the goat. Uh, and she wagered 5,400, which brought her up to 21,200, which is not quite Matt's score, but Matt wrote what is Gemini, or as we know, Gemini, and Mm -hmm. wagered 8201, which is a cover bet, which means he drops to 15199. So Emmy, with a good wager, wins. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it was a a great category for her. Yeah. Um, Over in my house, we had a whole debate about Capricorn versus Aries. Mm -hmm, The Ram. Um, yeah. But I believe that uh, sheep children are, are are lambs. Yeah, I know they're lambs. Not kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you're right. I, like, somehow ram sort of transmogrified in my brain. And there was some, there was some back and forth about whether Capricorn was, in fact, a goat or whether it was, like, a goat-like, like, mythological creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. When Matt put Gemini or, or Gemini as the case may be, was he thinking like kid equals small child equals like, oh, look, like twins? <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I know. Or maybe he was just like, uh, I yeah. have no idea. I'm going to guess a constellation that I know. Yeah. I don't know. And on Friday, we have the contestants Gunan Ganju, a radiation oncologist from Atlanta, Georgia. Carla Fawcett, a content administrator from Saco, Maine, and Emmy Trammell, an operations specialist from Jacksonville, Florida, whose one-day cash winnings total $21,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, a month of history. Uh, You only provide the month, British folklore and legends, words with double letters, expensive foods at cross purposes, and the TV title character speaks. Had my hometown in here at the $1,000 level of At Cross Purposes. The College of the Holy Cross is in this Massachusetts city, about a 50-mile drive from Boston. That's Worcester. Yeah, I feel like Worcester has been coming up uh, more often lately, and uh, I wonder if that's another Because they're listening to the podcast? Yeah. Surely. Surely. It's gotta be. Yeah. It's It's the only possible explanation. I thought the um, month of history category was um, good. It's hard to find questions that are like 
challenging enough if you're going to ask for only the month. Yeah. Um, but they did manage to find one that stopped, stumped the contestants at the $1,000 level. The Tet Offensive Begins Surprising U.S. Commanders. Um, that was January. And the connection there is Tet is Vietnamese New Year. Right. Although, like, that doesn't necessarily fall. Like, right. Lunar uh, New Year doesn't always fall. At the same time in, as. Yeah. I had that same thought. I was yeah. like, well, I uh-huh. guess, you know, I guess, yeah, Ted is the new year, but I also have no reason to believe that it would be in January. Right. Yep. Fair enough. So. And at the $600 level, you had to remember that before the 20th amendment, um, the inauguration, uh, presidential inauguration would be in March. Um, yep. Carla got that one. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the British folklore and legends category. Uh, it is at the $800 level, pick number 14. Carla locates it. Uh, she's at 3200 Emmy is at 800 and Gunan is at 2200 She wagers just 1000 Gets the clue covered only by her long hair. She rode through Coventry to win a reduction in taxes for its residents. And she gets that cl- correct with Who is Lady Godiva? Mm-hmm. I'm. I. I have never seen the parallel between riding through town naked and lowering taxes. Yeah. But if it works, it works. You know. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Emmy is at twenty six hundred. Carla's at sixty four hundred. Gunan is at two thousand. Two thousand. And we have the double Jeopardy categories: books of the Civil War era, spelling their egots, metallic expressions. The Life of Pablo, Colleges and Universities, and Places from A to A. All those places started and ended with A. There are a lot of places that start and end with A. There really are. Ken inviting Gunan to uh, give us his best blue, blue steel. steel. <laughs> it was, was great. very nice. <laughs> I appreciate Gunan being game for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I would have done. I'd have probably been like, oh, Oh, why are you, what are, I didn't prepare for this. Yeah. I felt for Gunan when he missed the, the $2,000 level of spelling their EGOTs. Uh, the clue was this singer songwriter producers. O, best original song for glory from Selma. Gunan tried who is common, who is one of the um, artists behind mm-hmm. that song. And the one that sort of comes to mind first for me as well. And you could see on his face that he, as he, after he had rung in, he realized that Common is not an EGOT winner. Right. And so he doesn't fit the category, but, you know, he said it rather than say nothing. Um, And then Carla got the rebound. John Legend. Yep. Collaborated with Common on that. And John Legend is an EGOT winner. winner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. Yep. Too much knowledge there, really. Mm-hmm. Daily double number two is in colleges and universities at the $1,600 level, and Carla finds it at the 20th pick. She has 14400 to Emmy's 5400 and Gunan's 5200 She wagers 2000 and gets the clue. This university's May 4th legacy scholarships were established to honor four students who were killed on campus May 4th, 1970. And she gets it correct. It is Kent State. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in the books of the Civil War era. At the $800 level, pick number 23, 
Gunan finds this one. He is at 5,600, Emmy's at 5,400, and Carla is up to 16,400. He wagers 4,000, which I like. Uh, mm-hmm. Running out of game, need to make a move. Gets a clue. In addition to fiction portraying herself and her sisters, she penned hospital sketches from her time as a Civil War nurse. And I think he keys in on Civil War nurse more than um, fiction writer. Mm-hmm. And he says, who is uh, uh, Clara Barton? Mm-hmm. But it's Louisa May Alcott. Right. Yeah, that was a that was a, a tough miss. Um, and you can see how, you know, you would focus in on Civil War nurse and sort of uh, miss miss it there. Although, although, I mean, I've read Little Women a few times. Mm. Uh, so I, I did not miss this one. But, uh, but yeah, for sure. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Carla has a lock with 17,600. Gunan's in second with 7,600. Emmy has 5,800. And we have the final jeopardy category inaugural balls. And the clue at the 1993 Tennessee inaugural ball, Paul Simon performed this song, his most recent top 40 hit. And this one was a triple stumper. Um, I didn't sort of get the trick of it. Although once Ken gave us the response you know i was like oh okay oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like i, yeah, I see sense. how you could have gotten there but oof yeah um, yeah this is a roundabout one uh-huh. uh emmy didn't come up with anything she just has what is question mark she's wagered four thousand that drops her down to 1800 gunan tried what is walking in memphis not a paul simon song right i think i don't it? i don't remember yeah not not a paul simon song but, you know, I see I see where he was thinking and like writing something's always better than writing nothing. So uh, he's wagered 4,001. That drops him down to 3,599. Um, Carla tried, what is me and Julio down by the schoolyard? <laughs> um, <laughs> Ken says it is a Paul Simon song. And a banger. He adds that it's, it's a banger, <laughs> um, but not correct. Carla's wagered 1,000. So that drops her down to 16,600. And they were looking for, you can call me Al. Mm-hmm. Um in reference to Al Gore. I mean, the song isn't in reference to, but like, you know, that's that's the connection. They used it in reference. Yes. To. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a tricky one. Did did you figure it out? No. No yeah. way. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it, this was just a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. So, Carlo wins, um, pays off to, to have a lock going into Final Jeopardy. Yes. Uh, so Why doesn't everyone do that? Yeah, I know. I should just answer more questions. You know, if you if you know it, why can't you just answer the questions? <laughs> yeah, so we'll see Carla back on Monday. Um, and that brings us to uh, the break in the middle of the episode, uh, we are, where we take a minute to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. We have a little bit of content on there. Uh, we try to get the quiz questions on uh, after we record, but before the episode is live uh, every week. Although I forgot to last time. Sorry, guys. Uh, so that Patreon supporters uh, get a little bit of a sneak preview. And we, we put other stuff up on there from time to time. If you have a couple dollars a, a month to help us offset the costs of making the podcast, uh, we would greatly appreciate your support. And... Uh, we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that there are more important things in the world um, than 
our podcast. So if you are making tough choices about what to support out there, um, we don't want to be your your number one top pick. Thank you, though. (laughs) Uh, um, And we like to highlight uh, some things that are important to us. Recently, we are highlighting abortionfunds.org. So if you're uh, if you're looking for a place to make a difference, that is one that we care about. Um, Kyle, do you have uh, deep dive guesses? I do. Okay. Are we talking about Elizabeth Ann Seton? We are not talking about Elizabeth Ann Seton. Are we talking about Madison Square Garden? No. Ah, I was like, it's a New York thing. It'll definitely be what she chooses. Oh, this is a little outside of your wheelhouse. Are we talking about the Franco-Prussian War? No, I put okay. it on my list, but I, I didn't even really seriously consider that one. Yeah. Um, uh, we we had such a hard time, uh, but we, I mean, the contestants, uh, with the woke mob. Oh, yeah. You know what? That's, I. how did I not think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I thought I would, I haven't picked out a single uh, clue from the woke mob. I just thought I would uh, talk us through Herman Woke, his... Uh, life and his you know his his uh his works his oeuvre <laughs> yes i'm not a hundred percent sure that even after i talk us through uh that you would you know based on what i like i'm like berlin is not going to come up uh I am also- I, like i'm not gonna get deep like he writes like he he's written like some some sweeping epics so i'm not gonna be able to get sort of deep into the plot and of each and every one of them mm-hmm. um but hopefully, you know, we can we can get a little bit more familiar with Herman Woke. And uh, honestly, after having like looked into him a little bit, I'm like, maybe I should read like another Herman Woke book or two. Yeah. So uh, Herman Woke was an American American author. Uh, he's best known for historical fiction. Uh, he was born in the Bronx. On May 27th, 1915, he is the second of three children born to uh, Esther and Abraham Isaac Woke. Uh, They were Russian Jewish immigrants from what is today Belarus. Um, His father worked for many years to raise the family out of poverty and uh, ultimately opened a successful laundry service. Uh, When he was 13, his maternal grandfather, Mendelieb Levine, came from Minsk to live with them and took charge of his grandson's Jewish education. Uh, Woke was frustrated by the amount of time that he was expected to study the Talmud, but his father told him, if I were on my deathbed and I had breath to say one more thing to you, I would say, study the Talmud. Hmm. Talmud being like, um, if you're not familiar, like commentary on uh, the Torah. Eventually, Woke took this advice to heart. Um, There was a brief period as a young adult where he lived a secular life, um, but he returned to religious practice and Judaism would become integral to his personal life as well as as well as his career. After his childhood in the Bronx um, and graduating from high school, he earned a Bachelor of Arts at the age of 19 from Columbia University in 1934. At Columbia, he was um, a member of the fraternity Pi Lambda Phi. He was also the editor of the university's humor magazine, Jester, um, and he wrote two of its annual varsity shows. He went on from Columbia to become a radio dramatist, working in David Friedman's Joke Factory 
and later with uh, Fred Allen, who's a radio personality who seems like a big deal, but I, I, I didn't know about him sure. for yeah. five years. <laughs> um, and then uh, in 1941, he was working for the U.S. government, writing radio spots to sell war bonds. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, he joined the U.S. Naval Reserve in 1942 and served in the Pacific Theater during World War II. Uh, he served as an officer aboard two destroyer minesweepers, the USS Zane and the USS Southard, uh, becoming executive officer of the latter with the rank of lieutenant. During off-duty hours aboard ship, he started writing a novel titled Aurora Dawn, uh, originally titled Aurora Dawn or the True History of Andrew Reel, containing a faithful account of the Great Riot, together with the complete texts of Michael Wilde's oration and Father Stanfield's sermon. He was, he's a little, like, I think it, he's a little inspired by Dickens and kind of that, like, era. Yeah. There were some influ some of those influences there. You can hear that, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, he sent a copy of the opening chapters to a philosophy professor he had studied with at Columbia, a man by the name of Edward Erwin er Edmund, um, who then uh, quoted a few pages verbatim to a New York editor. And ultimately, like, while on board a ship, Herman Wokes secured a publishing contract. Nice. Um, Aurora Dawn was published in 1947, and it became a Book of the Month Club main selection. It is, uh, the, uh, the blurb says, it's Wokes' raucous satire of Manhattan's high-power elite. Recounts the adventures of one Andrew Reel as he struggles toward fame and fortune in the early days of radio. In 1944, Woke met Betty Sarah Brown. Uh, she was a graduate of the University of Southern California. She was working as a personnel specialist in the Navy while the Zane was undergoing repairs in San Pedro, California. The two quickly fell in love, and after his ship went back to sea, Betty, who was born Protestant and raised in Grangeville, Idaho, began her study of Judaism and converted on her 25th birthday. They were married on December 10th, 1945. The two had three children. Uh, their firstborn son, Abraham Isaac Woke, was named after Woke's late father, uh, but he sadly died. He drowned in a swimming pool accident in Mexico shortly before his fifth birthday. Uh, their second and third children... Their second child is now known as Iolanthe Wolf. She was born in 1950. She's transgender. I think it's appropriate to share because she shares in her, you know, sort of uh, biographical information as an author. Uh, born 1950 as Nathaniel Woke. Hmm. And their third child is Joseph, born in 1954. Iolanthe is a great name, that is a good by name. the way. Woke's second novel, City Boy, um, proved to be a commercial disappointment at the time of its initial publication in 1948. Uh, set in the spring and summer of 1928, it spins the tale of an 11-year-old Jewish boy from the Bronx named Herbert Bookbinder, uh, following him through the final days of school at, at his New York public school, and then through a summer spent at Camp Manitou in the Berkshire Mountains. It was not especially successful when it was published, but when Woke found greater success with later novels, uh, there was kind of a revival of interest in this earlier one. His next novel, The Cane Mutiny, went on to win the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Uh, it's a bestseller, was a bestseller, um, drawing from his wartime experiences aboard minesweepers during World War II. Uh, the titular Mutiny 
of the Kane mutiny. I had not realized this. I haven't ever read the book or seen seen the movie. Um, it is like a legal, not a violent mutiny. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the protagonists become convinced that Captain Quig is unstable and um, ultimately relieve him of command um, in accordance with like some like, you know, like laws and protocols and like codes that they've that they've read, although he thinks they're, you know, that they're incorrect and therefore in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they're they're tried by court martial. And when they are, they're vindicated. Um, Yeah. It was adapted into a Broadway play by Herman Wilk called The Kane Mutiny Court Martials, just sort of focusing on that later part of the plot. And in 1954, a film version was released with Humphrey Bogart portraying Captain Quig. After The Kane Mutiny, his next novel was Marjorie Morningstar, released in 1955 which was made into a movie starring Natalie Wood, Gene Kelly, and Claire Trevor. Um, we've talked a little bit about this one because I read it. Um, it's a, a young woman in New York City with aspirations to, you know, to be a, a great actress. And like many of his other books, um, Jewish immigrant parents. His next novel uh, was Slattery's Hurricane, uh, which he had written in 1948 as the basis for the screenplay for the film of the same name. Around this time, he and his family relocated to the Caribbean nation of St. Thomas, where they lived for several years. In 1959, he published his first work of nonfiction titled, This is My God, The Jewish Way of Life. Uh, you know, sharing sharing a little bit about, you know, his, his uh, about Jewish faith and, and identity. Um, from his perspective. In the 1960s, he authored Youngblood Hawk, published in 1962, a drama about the rise and fall of a young writer uh, modeled on the life of Thomas Wolfe. Thomas Wolfe, the North Carolinian early 20th century, not Tom Wolfe, the (laughs) the later one. Um, And in 1965, don't Stop the Carnival, a comedy about escaping a midlife crisis by moving to the Caribbean. Um, you've probably picked up that he is <laughs> drawing heavily on his own life, mm-hmm. and many of his works are semi-autobiographical. So it would seem. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, in 1964, they return from the Caribbean uh, and settle in Washington, D.C., um, and later he and his wife will relocate to Palm Springs, California and live the rest of their lives there. I'm not sure exactly when that move was. Don't Stop the Carnival, the one that I just mentioned about uh, moving to the Caribbean, was turned into a short-lived musical by Jimmy Buffett in 1997. That's not surprising. Uh, yeah. In the 1970s, he published two um, huge monumental novels, The Winds of War in 1971 and its sequel, War and Remembrance in 1978. These are his his big, sweeping World War II epic novels. Uh, both were made into successful television miniseries in 1983 and 1988, respectively. In 1985, he publishes Inside, Outside, the story of four generations of a Russian Jewish family and its travails in Russia, the U.S., and Israel. In 1993 and 1994, The Hope and the Glory, uh, historical novels about the first 33 years of Israel's history. In 2000, 
another nonfiction work, The Will to Live On. This is our heritage, uh, focusing on Jewish history and sacred texts. Um, kind of a companion volume to This Is My God. In 1995, he was honored on his 80th birthday by the Library of Congress with a symposium on his career. Uh, nine years later, uh, as he's approaching his 90s, he publishes A Hole in Texas, a novel about the discovery of the Higgs boson. Hmm. And uh, in 2010, The Language God Talks on Science and Religion, an exploration to the tension between religion and science. In 2012, he published The Lawgiver. Um, if you're if you're keeping track here, we're like 70 years after his first yeah, novel this was is published. A massive... at this point. It's like, it's, uh, yeah, uh, he just keeps just kept going. Um, uh, the Lawgiver is an epistolary novel about epistolary, like a like a you know in a in novel letters. in letters or correspondence about a contemporary Hollywood writer of a movie script about Moses. And if I understand correctly, it's hard to find a lot about the the lawgiver. Um, but if I understand correctly, Herman Woke wrote himself into the book by having there be a character named Herman Woke, a mulish agent who is like consulting on the project, <laughs> quote unquote mulish agent. I believe I believe we are. I don't know what uh, what what Wikipedia was directly quoting from here, but those are those are not my original words. That's- I mean, at uh, a certain point, I mean, you get old enough, you're like, I can write myself into a book. <laughs> Who's, Who's going gonna to stop me? Stop me! I'm Herman Woke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are they going to do? Not yeah. buy my stuff? I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016, he published a memoir entitled Sailor and Fiddler Reflections of a 100-Year-Old Author. NPR called it a lovely coda to the career of a man who made American literature a kinder, smarter, better place. Uh, that was his last book to be published, uh, and he died in his sleep in his home in Palm Springs, California, on May 17th, 2019, at the age of 103, 10 Ooh. days before he would have turned 104. That so that's Herman Woke. Yeah. And I would have loved to dig in to some of these novels in more detail, but like, it would have just never stopped. Like, they're, they're sort of Dickensian, um, you know, he likes to do plotty you know not mm-hmm. not like plotting right. um with like huge casts of characters and like yeah they're they're we would just get into the weeds really fast if i were trying to give more than a brief thumbnail sketch about about these novels um mm-hmm. but you know interesting figure um and uh and his work is really i mean really enjoyable um i uh i read m- Marjorie Morningstar about 15 years late, but on the advice of, of my, uh, my college roommate. And, you know, it was, a, it was just a, it was just a nice, it was a, it was an, it was a good read. It was, you know, and readable and enjoyable um, in a way that like, you know, serious literature, literature sometimes isn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So are you ready for a quiz? Oh yeah, I can do a quiz. Okay. So I took a few of the works that I mentioned and wrote questions based on, you know, some connection there. Okay. And, um, yeah, you're going to hate me for this first question, so I'm sorry. Uh, Question one, the Kane Mutiny received the 1952 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. I've talked quite a bit on the podcast about my project of reading winners of that prize. 
And I've talked about some of the winners. So name up to 10 winners of the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction for one point each, other than the Kane Mutiny. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I might I might get absolutely none of these. Um, I can't pull anything to mind that makes me say, yes, absolutely, I remember for sure that was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Mm-hmm. I even need to remember how far back Pulitzer Prize goes into the tw- I think it's to the twenties. Yeah. Um. So let's go with. Let's see. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath. The Grapes of Wrath did win. Yes, okay. in 1940. Okay. Uh, Beloved. Yes. Gosh, is that really all I can come up with? Um. Let's see. Uh, Should I, do you want do you want some hints? I can start trying to trying to prompt you on. Some I mean, of these. sure, yeah, I'll take hints. Why not? All right, so we there's one that there there is one author who has won twice recently for novels dealing with race in America. Okay. Um. What did the Underground Railroad win? Yes. Okay, that's. Is that who you were talking about? Yeah, that's who I was talking okay, about. Colton Whitehead is the author there, yeah. and he's won, he's won another one recently okay, as well. I, I don't remember the other one. Um, let's see. I'm just trying to go through, like, what books did I read in high school? Uh, like, what did they make me read? What did, what did they make me read? Um, Back in 2007, there was a very apocalyptic kind of one. Was it The Road? Yeah, it was The Road. Okay. Uh, let's see. And I gotta, and they're all, and it's American, so I gotta, gotta put the other ones out of my brain. Did Stephen King win any Pulitzers? I don't think so. They tend to be more realistic fiction. Yeah. Usually. Uh, yeah, Stephen King gets kind of snubbed for literary awards. Yeah, I mean, honestly, The Stand should have won something if it didn't. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. Um,. God, this is really bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a tough question. I knew you were going to hate me. So um, that's four. I'm trying to put authors into time frames and think about. Did I know why the caged bird sings? Uh, I don't think so. Cause it's cause that one's. Um, I guess that's not fiction. Autobiography, is it? right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that doesn't count. Okay. There was another like. Double winner in nineteen eighty two and nineteen ninety one with I think the third and fourth or maybe second and fourth volumes of a tetralogy. This is realistic fiction. Mm-hmm. What four book series do I know? Alright, maybe that one maybe that clue's not gonna get us anywhere. Um there's there's one that won way back that we had a quiz question about last time i wrote a quiz well i mean the, the quiz i question. was gonna ask i was gonna i was gonna say gone with the wind gone with the wind did win in 1937 yeah and i couldn't remember if it was written as close to the movie or if it had been written significantly earlier yeah i wanted to say gone with the wind but i went away from it uh let's see other steinbeck stuff did steinbeck win more than one i think east of eden was also 1952 so i don't know that that would be one. Oh, uh 
you asked a you asked a question and I, ne- and I never answered it. Um, the first Pulitzer Prize for fiction was awarded in 1918. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for whom the bell tolls. Uh, I don't think so. Um. Oh, wait a second. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay, so for whom the bell tolls did not win, it was recommended to win in 1941. But the president of Columbia University persuaded the board to reverse its judgment because he deemed the novel offensive. No award was given that year. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let's see. Um, the Great Gatsby? I don't think The Great Gatsby I don't think won. it did either. I think it kind of picked up steam later on. All right. Hold on a second. Let me see how many guesses you're at. Eight, Eight. and five. We're five were correct. Okay. Um, let's see. Silent Spring. That one is nonfiction. Silent Spring is nonfiction. I've never Isn't read it? it. I thought it was a story. I think I think that it's nonfiction. Um, I'm quite sure it did not. Okay. Win the, I, I thought win I thought it was a fiction story. I didn't realize it was just nonfiction. Let's see. Uh, environmental science. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it is, it, it is non, non, non-fiction. Okay. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think it's, I think it's non Okay. Yeah. Um, let's go with... Uh, let me throw you a hint for something else then. Uh, they're hard to hint. Um, there's one that I jokingly call Little Women Fanfic, but I'm not really joking. It is, it's what it is. Little Women Fanfic. It is, it, that's what it is. If that's not ringing a bell, maybe we haven't talked about it. You haven't heard of that book. There's there's one that's currently a Broadway play, not a musical, a play. Uh, yeah. Adapted, I... adapted by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I've been following Aaron Sorkin. No, <laughs> I, uh, let's, I don't know. I'm not even coming up with another fiction work. Mm. I'll just tap on the last one. That's fine. All right. Okay. Um, well, hey, that that was that was not bad at all. You got five out of a possible ten points. And um, for closure, the ones that I that I attempted to hint included um, uh, the Nickel Boys is the other Colson Whitehead one. Mm-hmm. Uh, March by Geraldine Brooks oh. is, is Little Women fanfic. Gotcha. It is. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it is um imagine right. like it it takes the it takes the March family, right? Mm-hmm. Little women follows the the daughters and mother while the father is away at war and um you know imagines what the father might be doing. Yeah. I remember yeah. you've talked about that. Mar- the word March came to mind and then I was like, "No, that's that that uh the John Lewis comic that's book." The John yeah. Lewis uh-huh. yeah, yep. graphic novel that I just read. Like, yeah. that's not what it is mm-hmm. rabbit at rest and rabbit is rich are the uh tetralogy mm, yeah was uh, that, yeah wasn't gonna uh, by john I- updike john updike yeah yeah and i can't remember what else i tried to hint oh that's all right all all the king's men oh yeah okay yeah all right well you're at five out of ten points and um i gave you like the world's longest first question uh question two Marjorie Morningstar tells the story of an aspiring actress, the child of Jewish immigrants growing up in New York City. Her first major role is in her college's production of what comic opera? The work in question is the source of the term poobah 
and has been critiqued for its use of stereotypes of East Asians. Its best known song is Three Little Maids from School. Comic opera. Mm-hmm. With a pooba. I I know that and stereotypes of East Asian. It is I Opera uh, light opera. Yeah, no no no. It's yeah, a, yeah comic in 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 that it is not tragic, yeah. Um yeah. Trying to go through like the ones that have East Asians in it. It's not Turando. I would like I know that. I am going I'm concerned I may have thrown you off with the with the term opera. Um if it might perhaps be an operetta. Yeah, maybe maybe that might be that might be more then I mean correct. that's pointing me toward the Mikado. And it so is the that's Mikado. what I'm gonna go with. Yeah. Yep. I think I took some terminology wholesale from a from somebody who maybe did not was not it was not precise enough for for an actual musician. Um, yeah, Mar- <laughs> Marjorie has her has her breakout role in, in the Mikado, which I did not know was where the term poobah comes I didn't from. Know that either. Grand, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was that was something that I learned today. Um, all right, you're at fifteen points. Question three. The Winds of War is the first of Woke's two-volume historical fiction epic about World War II. It was adapted into a miniseries in 1983, and another, a new miniseries based on the book was recently announced to be co-written by what surprising to me entertainment industry figure, known for his work on TV series such as Family Guy and American Dad, and the films Ted and Ted 2. He also hosted the 2013 Oscars. Uh, that's Seth MacFarlane. It is Seth MacFarlane. That's interesting, isn't it? I, he's he's not a bad like he's he's a pretty good you know filmmaker and writer. Uh, have you have you ever watched the Orville? I have not. So that's Should his I? sci-fi show. Huh. So like when it first got picked up, I think it was by Fox. He I, I read this article where he he was talking about it later because it got I think it got canceled. And then it got picked up by Hulu or something. Mm. When Fox picked it up, they wanted him, like, he wanted to do a Star Trek style show. But because he's Seth MacFarlane, they wanted him to do Family Guy in Space. Hmm. So that's what, you know, he he did the, the goofy shtick with the, you know because that's what the network executives wanted and and i think my understanding is now that it's been picked up by hulu is like he's able to be to kind of make it more like what he wanted it to be so yeah it's interesting yeah Yeah. nice um yeah i uh i thought of him as the family guy guy um Mm -hmm. i was surprised to see his name attached to this you know like fairly serious project i would yeah very (laughs) pretty heavy yeah not a, not a lot of jokes you want to make about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, you're at 25 points. Uh, question four. Woke's novels The Hope and The Glory focus on the first decades of the modern nation of Israel. As such, their historical backdrop includes a number of wars, including the 1948 Arab-Israeli war, war, the 1956 Sinai War, and what brief and aptly named conflict of 1967? Uh, I think that's the Six Days War. That is the Six Days War, uh, which is the the one where Israel captured um, the West Bank and yeah. Gaza Strip and yeah, uh, some other yeah, a lot of other um, territory too. Yeah, uh, Golan Heights. Um, yeah, nice, uh, nice work on that. You had that right there. 
Uh, you're at 35 points. Um, question five. In addition to his novels, uh, Woke wrote a number of nonfiction works, uh, as I mentioned. The language God talks on science and religion is his exploration of science and religion. Um, and it was inspired by conversations he had with what theoretical physicist? A Caltech professor known for his work in quantum mechanics. I am surely not joking. Surely not joking. I don't get the hint. Ah. I am surely not joking. If it's not ringing a bell for you, you may just not be familiar with the reference point. I mean, it makes me think of airplane. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's what you're getting at. But it's not. A name came to mind, and I, I really have no idea if he's associated with. You said Caltech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's Buckminster Fuller. Oh, that's not a bad guess, Richard Feynman. Feynman. Um, okay. Yeah, I was not yeah. going to get there. Uh, yeah, Richard Feynman um, was. Uh, I mean, I, how, how can I assess how somebody is as a scientist? But my understanding is, you know, like a, a, a solid scientist, um, but especially kind of known as kind of a science, like, like communicator, like somebody who sort of, you know, was like the face of physics. Uh, and uh, the, the reference to uh, the reference there was to his um, one of his autobiographical works. Surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. Oh, I've yeah. never heard of it. Yeah. So, uh, so Richard Feynman is uh the name to know. Okay. All right. You're at 35 mm -hmm. points. And what should we call this last category? We're going to call it art and artists. Well, I better bet it all then. All right. Yes, you'd better. So for 70 points, the title of Woke's final work, the memoir Sailor and Fiddler, Reflections of a 100-Year-Old Author, refers to two formative aspects of his life. Sailor refers to his Navy career. Fiddler is intended to refer to his faith by pointing toward a Broadway musical, the title of which is drawn from a painting by what artist who was born in Russia, died in France, and comes up a lot on Jeopardy and our podcast. So, okay. And this is this is one of those things that I've had to learn so many times, and I pro I might still get it wrong. So if I'm thinking of Fiddler on the Roof, then I am thinking of Chagall. Chagall is correct. Okay. Ooh. Oh man, I've had to yep. learn that guy's name so many <laughs> times. Yep. Uh, yeah, Russia, French, Jewish painter. Uh, right. It's going to be Chagall. Right, which I know, I know, and still there's a part of me that's like, maybe you forgot it again. Maybe you're thinking of a different name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no, you got it. So uh, you have uh, finished this quiz with 70 points, despite my throwing that horrible Pulitzer Prize question It's horrible. You. It's a fair question, and <laughs> it's, it's really something it I should know better. It, it's, it's a torturous question. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be if I had ever, like, thought about it, because mm -hmm. naming only ten in the hundred, you know, years of the thing, it's like, you should be, I should be able to get that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there's always more trivia to learn. Amen. But anyway, thanks, Kyle, for making a podcast with me. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah. And thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Uh, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating or review to help us with the algorithm. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potent And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy! So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quick.